Hey everyone, this podcast is with Jim Shields from Southern Impression Homes in Florida, and we chatted about why Jim loves Florida real estate and the build to rent strategy in particular for his investing. We recorded this podcast in his surf shack, which is a shack on his front lawn across the street from the Atlantic Ocean Beach in beautiful St. Augustine, Florida. So we recorded this podcast the first night we arrived in Florida for the first ever Rockstar Fast Start property tour. That's a mouthful. About 60 Rockstar Inner Circle members and Rockstar team members toured single family homes, do Plexes, quadplexes in Florida with the Southern Impression Homes team. We saw properties in Palm Coast and Jacksonville, which are both on the Atlantic coast of Northeast Florida. It was awesome. We learned so much about investing in Florida real estate, had a blast all hanging out, grabbing lunch, dinner, drinks, and touring through beautiful St. Augustine, where we stayed. Investing in fully turnkey, new construction, single family, duplex, and quadplex rental properties in Florida, managed by the SI Homes property management team, is now an exclusive benefit that only Rockstar Inner Circle members get access to. We're learning everything we can about the Florida market, financing programs, cross-border banking and taxes. We've already set up a full-service team to help out Rockstar members. From the builder, property manager, uh, mortgage broker, Canadian U.S. tax accountant, we now have a full system for buying Florida rental properties and having them managed passively. So we're super excited. We saw amazing opportunities down there. We can't wait to keep sharing more with everyone on this podcast. And most importantly, with Rockstar Inner Circle members, if you want to know more about the amazing group of investors and entrepreneurs that make up the Rockstar Inner Circle, call me. Yes, call me or Ashley on the membership team. I dare you. We dare you. Ashley dares you too. 905-338-6964, extension 210. Whatever questions you have for us, we'll answer them. And now Jim Shields, everyone. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live in the Surf Shack. We I are. That it's called. So, what's the story behind the Surf Shack? Like, what are we? What are we sitting in right now? We are sitting in what I always wanted. A lot of people always wanted the big corner office. That I always wanted just a simple little office in the corner of my yard. Yeah, I should bring the. Oh yeah. So uh, I always wanted. Uh, a we're we starting again. No, no, we're good. We're oh. rolling. We're live. We're rolling. I've never done this before. It's my first time. Okay, so um, yeah, I, I never wanted a big corner office. I wanted a simple little office in the corner of my yard. So it's a five-second commute to my house. It's a seven-second commute to the beach and surf, which I took you guys up to. Yeah. And so this is where I do ninety percent of my work. I go into the big office or host different things, but but I do most of what I do for the company, you know, sales and marketing and overall strategy right from here. And the reason is just to be closer to family, to this, this is just what you've always wanted. Do you just not like being in the office? You know, the office was never for me and I've got a great partner who handles operations and management and I'm more in charge of sales and marketing. And for what I do, it's really good that I stay out of any of the the trenches and uh, work on the bigger relationships. And I can do that really well right from here. Okay. Undisturbed. So how do you transition into sales and marketing? from being a builder and like purely a real estate investor to, to the build to rent company, but you're partnered with the builder. Like how does that transition happen? Well, we started this almost 10 years ago and uh, my, my now uh, partner, he managed my properties 
And him and his father had a small building company. And they said, what if we started to build our own properties instead of rehabbing older properties? And I said, hmm, all right. So we, together on the very first development, we threw in the development fees together when we built it. And it went okay at best. But we saw, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, this has legs. This has a lot of advantages. And we worked together for, well, about seven years we did over 300 million in, in projects together and then he said you know what when you say 300 million that's just the value of the homes that you guys own yeah that's what we built that's what we built for and sold off to other sold off to our clients we keep some within the company but you know we so we, the company retains some we retain some properties yeah personally and within the company uh, but we also uh we've always had the focus of of being a concierge for investors you know, both the small investors, we also work with family offices and some of the larger institutions. But, you know, we have over 950 individual investors. So that's really our, our main vein. And that's what I brought to the company. I always, you know, meeting Tom and Nick, you know, 16 plus years ago, you know, that's, I just was out learning a lot. So I just built an investor base really all over the U.S., and when we started this, I had a lot of investors who were interested in Florida, interested in investing in a different way. And that's what I was able to bring to the table, uh, just building relationships and really working with, with real estate groups like Rockstar that said, hey, we're looking for an outlet to get into Florida, to get into better properties. Can you help? And we would just team up. And then now I just decided at the end of last year, you know, this is my main focus in real estate. Um, my partner said, you know, instead of just joint venture, why don't you come in as a full partner? And I said, okay, Jamie and I talked about it and it just made sense for our family, for our goals and for uh, dividing our talents. Chris and I are very different. Uh, we really bring a good synergistic skill set together that we merge. Like Chris, here's the best I can say. My partner, Chris, you guys will meet tomorrow. Uh, he loves a spreadsheet. Me, I love a whiteboard. So we are very different with analytics, but also very different with creativity and big picture things. And when we blend it, it's worked really well. Why did you leave California? Why Florida? Um, you were living in California like full time or you were just investing? No, no, no. I lived there full time and I, the writing was on the wall. When I, when I left there like 2004, you know, where I was in central California, a place called Bakersfield, which was not known for its glamour, but it had great pricing on properties. Kind of like, I guess for Toronto people like a Hamilton or something. And it just got crazy. You know, people from San Francisco, LA were coming into this little area and they were paying $80,000, dollars $100,000 over appraised value uh, for properties with no cash flow. And I was going, this is nuts. So I didn't know what was going to happen leading up to 08, but I just knew we couldn't keep doing deals. Plus, the landlord laws in California were never my favorite. And so, you know, coming to, to Florida, I started to look around Northeast Florida, some tips from some investor friends that we had. And the numbers I'd always been taught by mentors of mine to find were right here in Northeast Florida. So I decided I could live by the beach, great lifestyle, I had family in Florida, and I just made the move. So you sold off all your California rentals? Sold off almost all of them, kept a chunk of them, 1031 exchanged uh, a good amount into here, and then restarted doing what I had done out in California, you know, fixing up old foreclosure properties here in, Cal uh, here in Florida. Can you explain the 1031 exchange for all the Canadians? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess that's different up there. Huh? 1031 exchange here just means if you sell a property, you can 1031 exchange it, which means you can take your profits and roll it. We got a 
fly. Is, is that a regular occurrence? In I don't know. That actually looked like a lightning bug, but it's, I don't know what it was. Sorry about that. Yeah, so I'm guilty. Yeah, that was Tom's fault coming in and out. So, but we, um, you, you sell the property and you have to get what's called an intermediary. And the intermediary uh, will roll all of your funds into an account that you have to then roll forward into more properties, all your profits plus the same amount of debt. So let me give you an example. If I have a property I sell for 200,000 and I only have a $100,000 mortgage on it, I now have to roll that profit of 100,000 into one, two, three properties, whatever I decide to do. And then I have to take out the same amount of mortgage debt. It's like the U.S.'s way to say, hey, we want to keep the real estate market going. We want you to keep reinvesting back into it. And in exchange for doing that, we will defer the taxes. So all of that money moves forward tax-free, tax-deferred into more property. So when I left California, I was able to sell you know, these little houses I had and go into two or three houses here in Florida. So it worked really well. Is, is that how most U.S.-based investors scale their portfolios is by using that 1031 exchange to kind of keep building up and up and up? Um, I think I think that's one way that people can do it for sure. Another way is the more simple approach, which I think you guys do, where you plant seeds in a good property, and then the property does well over a few years, both with rental growth and appreciation, and then you just decide to refinance. You pull money out of the property, and you don't go to Vegas with that money or buy Rolexes or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you're you know, being more of an investor mindset, you're going to take that money and you're going to dump it forward into more properties. So you leverage off properties you own to buy more properties. That's how I built my portfolio. Whereas the 1031 is just if you're selling properties. Just if you're selling. But the refi, you don't have to sell. Yeah. Can international investors uh, also do the 1031 exchange? That's a great question. We're going to have to ask Tom and Nick's uh, tax guy on that. I believe so. Because it is within the U.S. So your U.S. tax would be deferred. I don't know about your Canadian tax. Yeah. Question. Okay. Follow up on that one. Yeah. But um, so build to rent, like it, it makes a lot of sense from your last podcast with Nick. You kind of explained the whole strategy, new construction, less problems, better tenants, stronger rents, less problems, more predictable problems, as Jamie was saying. So like it, it makes a lot of sense, but this is coming from someone who's a very experienced real estate investor. Mm-hmm. What about somebody just starting out? Do you think build to rent is still a great solution for them? I think it's a better solution. And here's why, you know, being in this game for a long time now, not only as an investor and working with investors, I've also gotten to go to a lot of events and do a lot of teaching. And the, the, the biggest kryptonite that I see for a lot of new investors here in the U S is they get sold on what I got sold on some in the very beginning is look cheap is the best. Just get a really cheap property, buy it, hold it, it's going to work out. And the initial numbers they try to do show this really good cash flow. But what always, almost always happens is they underestimate their maintenance and repairs and their turnover costs. So they buy, let's say, two or three really rough properties and they don't realize as rough as they are. They don't know they have as much deferred maintenance as they do. They might be in a tougher area than they realize, which brings about tougher management, harder tenants, more turnover. And they just get lambasted those first few years with maintenance, repairs, turnover, they throw up the white flag and they get out of the deal. Happens all the time. It's one of the biggest short-term, you know, kind of killers of real estate dreams from what I've seen. It's just the burnout factor. It's just the burnout factor. And I always say, and this is kind of my lesson where people say, 
you know, what, what do you recommend to close family and friends are getting? What would you do differently? And I say, I would own less of better quality if I went back. So if, if you could start back, I don't know when you started investing, like 20, almost 24 years ago. How old were you at the time? I was 25. I'm yeah. 49 now. You just exposed my age. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. You actually, in your last podcast, said you started investing in 98, and I was born in 95. And I was oh, like, okay. yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot to learn from this guy. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's 98. So how many years? So it'd be 25 years. Yeah. yeah, it was 98 when I first started making offers on properties. Okay, so if you could go back 25-year-old Jim, are you starting with built to rent, knowing everything you know now? And could you have started I, with that? I would start with build to rent if there was someone providing what we provide. Yeah. Because if you're a new investor and you're going to try to just build a house on your own, I don't recommend that. Yeah. If you can get someone to do it for you, I recommend it. The same way, you know, I rehabbed a lot of old properties for investors as well, new investors. And I think that was a very smart move because if you don't have time, if you're not in the area, you don't have the subcontractors, you don't have the experience, that's that's taking a lot of risk off the table. And basically what I was getting it done for and even charging them to get a profit for myself was cheaper than they could have probably done it on their own. But it's always more of a risk with an older property. I mean, it's just always, I, we call it the three-year curse because I've owned hundreds of these and I don't care you know, what it was. I could do a new roof, new heating cooling, new plumbing, update kitchens, baths. In three years, I just knew that I had to up my, my maintenance and repairs budgets. My turnover seemed to be more. Now that you know we're nine years in on the build to rent, that three-year curse hasn't hit on the overall portfolio we've done for ourselves or our investors. So I would go back and look at new construction and I would do it, um, I would I would do it with someone helping me though. So actually, let me let me tell you this. We were just talking about today, Jamie and I. So we do what's called a build on your own lot program too. So let's say you know someone from Rockstar is like, hey, I actually own a lot. My uncle got me blah 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 in Palm Coast or Jacksonville. We're like, great. You know, do you want us to to build the property for you? So we'll do a build on your own lot. You bring us the lot. We'll we'll set up pricing and specs of to build the house for you. So Alden, who you guys just met, my 20-year-old, he has saved up. And, you know, people, I know there's some people who get their first kid, their investment property at age 12. I just didn't agree with it. It didn't feel right. Like I'd be doing the lifting. They wouldn't really be doing it. He helps us with those properties. But I wanted him to be in a position where he could support himself to have a property. So he's just about to pull the trigger. Well, we're talking now about finding a lot in St. Augustine. And he's going to do a build on your own lot with our company. So... That should tell you if I believe in it or not, because now for my next generation, I am, I'm telling them, I'm saying, look, if we can get you something new or better and maybe build you a duplex and you're going to live in one side and then rent the other side, this is a great first step for your real estate wealth. I guess coming from Canada, like it's kind of hard to wrap my head around new construction, being able to cash flow. Right. Whereas here in these markets, these new builds seem to produce cash flow. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two things that make that happen. One is, I mean, you guys are about three times our pricing right now in the greater Toronto area. Yeah. You know, so it, the buy-in price. Is that like dollar adjusted though? It's dollar adjusted. Dollar adjusted. So I know we just did. Um, from Northeast Florida, like Jacksonville. From, from Northeast Florida, Jacksonville. I believe if you look at Jacksonville with dollar adjusted, we were at like 299000 for for the average Jacksonville home. You know, you go to Hamilton, you guys are at like five ninety five. Mm-hmm. So you're talking a huge show. And that's just Hamilton. I mean, forget about, I know you guys don't do as much in Toronto, 
uh, but the Toronto, it's even more. So you're almost double, and the rents were not that much higher for what we're getting, and that is dollar adjusted. And do you have a similar dynamic between, let's say, Orlando or Miami to the communities that you're in, like maybe a smaller city like Jacksonville? That's probably the biggest community you're in. Yeah. But Palm Coast or Ocala, like these other yeah. kind of smaller things, it's just the shoulder markets that give you that spread? Well, here, here's, we are not in Orlando. We are not in Tampa. We're not in Miami. And that's very on purpose. You know, our job is to find cash flow but also fundamentals of growth. You know, is there economic growth in the area? Is there population growth? The affordability index is huge. This is something I, I talk about and teach about all the time. Affordability index is what is the average price of a home compared to the average family income for that area? You know, and, and, and in the areas we go into, I guess would be considered second tier, that's a very healthy number. You know, they're also desirable, they're behind on housing. So that's where you wanna be as a builder or an investor these types of growth areas, you know, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, obviously great areas, but you're buying, I mean, you're, you're going back to why we do what we do. You're getting higher pricing. The cash flow hasn't gone up with it. And that's more of a risk. And we don't want to put ourselves or our investors in a bigger risk. Could you make an argument though, for the value of being in those, you know, high demand, amazing cities, the most popular cities in Florida, or just the cash flow won't allow you to scale at a, at any rate, because just everything negative cash flows so badly that you can't really scale a portfolio. You can you can make an argument for it, but I can tell you this: I've always i I've made more money with appreciation, but I do my best to get in its way with cash flow involved. Because when, when for us, for the things I've done in California and here, the difference, especially if you're going to scale the properties of spending money every month as opposed to getting money in your pocket, the returns have just been better. So like if Jacksonville, great market. If you had invested $250,000 with us in Jacksonville five years ago, your annual return on investment based on equity growth and cash flow was just about 69% a year. That's over the last five years. So the way I see it is if we can find these markets, we can have our, our, our cake and eat it too. Because the buy-ins are so well and they're still adjusting up that I think we can match the prices of the bigger ones without a bleed every month. Sorry, you said 69% over the five years or? Year after year, annually. Annually. Our properties, and we'll show this tomorrow, again, if you put $250,000 into Jacksonville properties with the average 20 or 25% down with our properties, and we've gone back and we've done hundreds of these, you would have made 69% a year each year over the last five years. About $127,000 return every year. That's how much the properties have gone up. So did you guys have a huge lift uh, with COVID with all the money printing? A lot of money printing, yes. So do you attribute that to kind of those outrageous returns? Well, I think we do. Um, but also Florida has always been underpriced. So right now, again, Jacksonville, median price is about 299,000, right? You go to somewhere like Salt Lake City or Boise, Idaho, great markets where a lot of Californians left to come out of. Well, they're right again at 595, 620. So they're at twice the price, but the rents are about the same and the average income for, for tenants is about the same. Yeah. So we're still way underpriced. Can you can you explain the economics behind that? Like I've never understood why you can have higher prices in a different area, but the rents don't match those prices. Like I've seen, so I saw on your slide where you compared uh, Boise, Idaho, mm-hmm. and also Salt Lake, and you know the purchase prices were 
you know, much higher than let's say uh, Jacksonville. Yeah. But the rents you're getting in Jacksonville, I think were higher than Salt Lake. Um, and it was just underneath maybe the Boise, Idaho one for houses that cost way more there. So like, I just don't understand that. Each, you would think if prices are higher, like rents would. You would think equal. It, it just, there's no exact science. Yeah. There's no, I've never seen an exact science in California, here in Florida, working with other investors and networking with them all over the U.S. There's just no exact science. Yeah, because it's, it's the same case with Toronto versus even St. Catharines or Hamilton, uh, where just the rent to price ratio is just uh, much better yeah. in the shoulder markets. And yeah. I just never understood that. Like, why doesn't the rents catch up to the higher prices? Well, sometimes too, I think it has to do with, with job growth too. You know, if the area has not experienced job growth or income growth, and that's one thing with Florida, that through the pandemic, you know, incomes went up a lot in Florida. More people were coming here, there was more demand for good help and it scaled up. But if, if the income's not going up, I think it's also hard to raise the rents. And there could be a, a desirability of life. Like Salt Lake and Boise are beautiful areas. Yeah. But if, you know, that's more emotion that, that brings up the price, not really investing fundamentals. Yeah. So, so the narrative uh, in Canada when it comes to Florida and maybe Texas is that there's huge migration coming in from other states. And like a bunch of people are leaving L.A. and New York City. Is, is that really the case of what's happening? Very much so. That's absolutely true. And it's continued even post-COVID? Because I know a lot of that was kind of due to the tight COVID restrictions in those states. Yeah, but, but there's also for, for the people that have in the landlord laws. So when I left California, I saved 9.9%. I made 9.9% because there was a state income tax and there's no state income tax. Now that state income tax is 13.5% in California. So people get tired of paying it. They did not agree with the rules and they say, hey, if something like this could happen, none of us thought anything like COVID could happen again, mm -hmm. but it has, you know, I mean, it could. And if it does, they don't want to be caught behind the lines of areas where they think there's going to be less freedom of post and more freedom. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Toronto's felt a little bit about that as well. hundred percent. Yeah. So, okay. Another maybe, I don't know, narrative that's up in Canada, both the USA is like how politically divided the country is sure left versus right is that truly the case is that more so media narrative well, well the media's job is to stir the pot between everybody yeah. they just want ratings and and they'll favor one side more than the other and there is definitely a divide uh, but i have friends on on all sides and uh, we don't have to agree on everything but for me the divide is only important business-wise and investing-wise on a few fundamentals. People don't have to agree with me on certain things, and that's fine, but I'm not going to go to a state where a landlord is frowned upon, mm -hmm. where if I have this old-fashioned value, that if I buy a property and I keep it in good condition, it's my right to collect rent on it without <laughs> guilt and without, you know, without being, uh, you know, yeah, in trouble for it. So pretty old school. Pretty old school. I guess that's an old school value. So I think there is some divide on different things, and people go to states that kind of match more of their values, and that's fine. And 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 my values, as far as rental concern is, I want to be in a state where it's landlord friendly. Yeah. So, you, like, if you're trying to hedge against political risk in the U.S., you what are you looking at? You're looking at the landlord laws primarily, or are you looking at 
I'm looking at state income tax. I'm looking at are they business friendly? Um, I'm looking at the draw to the area. Do they encourage business or discourage business? And and those are you know probably two of the biggest. Because if you're discouraging business, you're going to keep losing business. At least that's the equation I believe in. Yeah. And uh, and if you if you start to you know I know people that could not collect rent for 10, 14 months through COVID. Yeah. When we were not only collecting rent, but if people decide not to pay unscrupulously, then they're they're out in forty days. And uh, and as a landlord, again, I learned a lot of lessons in California, a lot of them, Anthony. And my heart was bigger than my head. I collected a lot more stories than I did rent in the beginning, and that could have bankrupted me. So I've learned my charity and my rentals are completely separate. We give a lot to charity and causes we care about, but that's not. The same as my rental. Yeah, it's not the intention. Right? No. Have you had to evict a tenant in Florida? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. What was that process like? Uh, you're done in 40 days. 40 days, tenants out. Tenants out. And a lot of when when you have certain rules in place too, you know, if a tenant know, look, you're in parts of Northern California, they know they can go a year, year and a half. Yeah. What's the motivation to leave? Yeah. When a tenant here knows that, hey, we're going to be out in 40 days. Normally, it doesn't even go to eviction. And again, remember, I've owned hundreds of properties here in Florida. So, of course, with my numbers, I'm going to have some evictions. However, I can tell you this. Most of the time, it never goes to eviction. Most of the time that they're out, they take what's called keys for cash. Hey, we're going to let you out. We want the property in good condition, broom swept, take back. Here's $200, moving money to help you. Or, you know, if it's in good enough condition, we'll get the partial deposit back because we just want the asset back, right? And I can tell you, most of those evictions that I ever suffered over the last 20 years here in Florida were in older houses in worse areas. That's why I do new construction now, better areas. So you're doing cash for keys for like just a couple hundred bucks? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I did six grand cash for keys to get a tenant out. You live in California, huh? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> Ontario. It's, oh, it's actually worse. Wow. Okay. Um, what else? Evictions. Oh, the, how, what about raising rent? So you don't have rent control. Yeah, that was awesome. Did you see how shocked I was when I was at that powwow at Rockstar? I, you guys were trying to explain it to me in a long way. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And I've so, never heard of anything like that. Well, so we've never heard of just being able to raise rent. Just Jacksonville, <laughs> as much as you want. In one year between 2020 and 2021, rents in Jacksonville went up on average 25%. 25%. Because they were undervalued, really. They always had been in Jacksonville. And so that was a good boost up to get them where, more like where they should be. But yeah, no one was stopping it. It's, and the demand was just coming in. So you were able to raise rent. The demand was there. So, so what does raising rent actually look like? Like, Do you just have to keep it within or, reason? Otherwise, the tenant's going to be okay. Well, yeah, look, you leave somewhere else. You have to keep it within the market bounds. You want to keep it within the market bounds. And and for our management companies, like our portfolio managers, they'll have the conversation with our, with our clients and say, look, we think we should stay where we're at. You know, it's probably not worth it right now. And there's different ups and downs in the market that I've seen in the last nine years of that. Or stay where it's at. Or no, let's boost it 50 or you know, during COVID. It's like, I think you can raise the rents $500. On a twelve hundred dollar unit. So on average, how much are you guys raising the rent? Um, that's going to be right now around eight to nine percent annually. Really? So it's still a growth thing. So yeah, definitely over your two percent. Yeah, because because that is, you guys have a two percent cap. Is that right? Two percent changes high, every year. But uh, well, actually, I think it's two and a half. Percent. Changes all the time. It, it changes okay. every year. Yeah. No, it is a total free market when it comes to rents here. Now there are areas in the U.S. 
that have rent control and such, you know, New York City, San Fran and that. Um, not here, not in the second tier markets in Florida. There might be a few areas in Miami, I'm not sure, uh, but I don't focus on the Miami market at all. I'll go through it on my way to the Florida Keys, but that's about all I know about the Miami market. Are you getting a lot of pushback from tenants when you raise rents? Is it just generally accepted that this is the way it goes? Yeah, it's so mysterious to us, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, it, I guess it's more of a a cultural norm for our mm-hmm. for our rental way down here that you know you you get a raise in in rents and like i said there'll be some years you might say let's just keep where it's at you don't want to lose a tenant trying to get a nine percent raise and then have them leave and have to pay for the you know the turnover and then you know the refill so it, it varies from year to year so you're sure. property management companies like working with people trying to make it work for everyone like so if there is a huge pushback and let's say the nine percent they might yeah, they might say, you don't want to lose this person. Yeah, you, it's, it, every property is an individual negotiation. And it's treated that way with your yeah, property management. absolutely. It isn't like a blanket across the board, we're raising rent. No, 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 no. We're going to look at individual properties, individual comps for that, that certain area, you know, because maybe Ocala had a, a, a much stronger one this year than like a part of Jacksonville or something. So, you know, remember we're in 12 different markets. So it, we could not just blanket and say, yep, 9% across the board, all 12 markets go, Yeah, you know, because sometimes you'd be cheating certain people. Other times that year, you, you might be mm-hmm. in danger of losing a good tenant, you know, and not being able to get that higher price that you're trying to get anyway, if that makes sense. And yeah. did you ask closing process with an investor and then property management? Like how does that look when an investor acquires the, the property? Did you go through that? No. Oh. Uh, do we, yeah, do we, all right, let's cover that. Yeah, so closing process. So yeah, we, I know we just did collaborative with our team and Rockstar team, the seven steps to yeah. buying in the US, you know? And the biggest difference we see with with a property between, you know, let's say buying here in Florida to where you guys are, is just that initial setup. Because you got to get some structuring set up to be able to buy in the US as a Canadian. Uh, obviously, and I know Tom and Nick have a great guy to help with that entity structuring and bank account setup. But really from there, it's a pretty straightforward process. So let's say, Anthony, you're like, you know what, Jim? I loved what we saw today. I want to do the duplex. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to get you the Tom and Nick's um, entity guy. You know, our Canadian expert, he's going to get your bank account set up. He's going to get your um, your entity set up. Then we're going to pick a property. You know, probably one of the properties, like, I like that one that we saw. You know, you're going to work with one of our sales specialists that will go through the performance with you, talk about the property, and then, you know, the different financing options that we have for our Canadian investors. And you say, all right, I want to do it. It's a standard, you know, Florida real estate contract. You're going to be able to sign on that. You put down a deposit. At the depth you put down a deposit, you know, we keep you a part of the process so you're involved but never alone. From the contract to the appraisal for your lender to the inspection, because you still want to do an inspection on every property, I think, because even though it's new construction, get it inspected. If anything gets called, we need to fix it. Why not do that? You know, the insurance. Our sales specialist is going to refer you to the people that have done our insurance. I know I gave some good insurance stories on stage, you know, to show we know how to shop insurance. And then the property management transition, we're going to introduce you to the leasing department and then to your portfolio manager. So during that process of getting the house going, your loan, you know, finalizing the house and closing, you'll be transitioning over into property management. At the time of closing, then we're going to have to have set up for your bank accounts. Where are we going to wire the rental funds? 
the assignment of your portfolio manager, and then you'll do a follow-up call seven days after closing and 30 days after closing with your sales specialist just to make sure, hey, is there any questions? Is there anything of confusion? Uh, but it's a pretty straightforward process. I'm sure that probably sounds like Rockstar. The only difference is that initial upfront you know, structuring for you to be able to come over the border the right way. Yeah. So you have financing options that allow Canadians with zero credit score, zero banking history, anything, zero income in the United States to be able to purchase properties. Yeah. And and this is a huge switch. I mean, I mean, Tom and Nick and I have been looking at this for almost 17 years. Just in the last 18 months, they're starting to become international finance. And instead of having to pay cash, you know, you're talking 30 to 40% down. And I know some Canadians go, hey, well, we're used to 20 or 25 yeah, but our properties are also a third of the price. So when you start to do the math, it's about equal. Yeah, and, you know, the banks are taking more of a risk because it's not your credit. It's more the property. You know, there's a small bit of um, qualification, which our lender will go over again on Saturday. And we went over with, with the big uh, Rockstar Group last time. Yeah. But it's very minimal. So once once you financed a couple uh, properties here, you've, you've, you know, are you establishing credit history once you've done that? Oh, Definitely. And then does that open you up to new and potentially better financing options? I think it offers you better financing options and then possibly other banking um, lines and such. But you want to get probably a two-year history. The one thing I can tell you is we are uh, doing special financing for, for our Canadian buyers where our banks are very different than your banks right now. You have to realize this. This inflationary effect, you guys have done a great job keeping interest rates low. If as an American, if you come in to a, a normal mortgage company right now and say, I want to buy a duplex or a quad, they're going to quote you probably like eight and a half percent. So it's a high interest rate. However, you know, we're getting, doing these pre-mortgage buys for, for international investors. We're getting at six and a quarter. Now you guys are saying, oh, but our rates are much lower. But I can tell you at six and a quarter, you're cash flowing. And we expect our Fed, because our Fed has a history of this. I know Tom and Nick have talked about this. Anytime they've shot up this quick, within about 24 months, they have to start trailing backwards. And they have a history over 80-something years of doing this. We're expecting rates to go down at least 2 plus percent sometime over the next 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. So we believe that's going to be a refinance opportunity, even for you guys from the six and a quarter to possibly even lower. Well, six and a quarter is basically where we're at in Canada, right? I'm surprised. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought you guys were lower. No, on some maybe a little bit lower. Yeah, yeah. Depends, right? But rentals, yeah, you're looking six, six and a half. Okay, so then I we're doing better than we thought. <laughs> I thought we were even higher. So I've seen a couple of your performance, and it was like special financing rate as low as four point seven five percent. That's for our U.S. buyers. That's U.S. buyers. Yeah, I, I would love to do what I can do for my U.S. buyers for you guys. Yeah, but I can tell you, I'm real happy we're able to do what we do because again. We're, us looking at this for so many years, we just we couldn't even get we couldn't get anything but cash. And then we would hear about a fifty percent down loan program, and then no one could ever really get it done. And it was like stupid double digits, you know, interest, all sorts of extra fees, and you know that didn't make us feel very. So, so what's the case against built to rent or against Florida? If you had to make one, if you don't like collecting rent. <laughs> Um, you don't you like, don't like warm weather. Yeah. Um, no, water. You don't like, let's, like, let's, let's, you, you let's, moved 
I think a lot, if not all of your portfolio here. Like, I have nothing left in California. Yes. Yeah, so I sold my last one a few years ago. Only Costa Rica. Oh, Costa Rica. Only Costa Rica. But that's Costa like a vacation Florida. property. Or is it Cape? Well, we rent it and yeah, we live there part time and then rent it as well. Okay. So different. That's a cash market as well. So um, a beautiful market, but cash. But let me, let me tell you. About five minutes. And about that, end with the book. A, a big one. Um, insurance. So we hear about hurricanes. Let's let's talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room. You know, what about hurricanes? We heard about hurricanes, things about hurricanes. So the last big one that came through, Hurricane Ian, was Category 5 at one point, which is, that's wow. the top. That's as big as you can get. When the eye of the storm went over Fort Myers and Punta Gorda, we have hundreds of projects going on in that area. New construction is different. They changed the rules in 2004, as we were talking about before when I took you up to the beach. And you said, is this the 14-foot that you have to build? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even more when you're building oceanfront. Yeah. But for the new rules, yeah, you got to build higher. you got to build a stronger structural integrity. And we saw a test phase that we really didn't want to go through, but we went through. We had no flooding on any of our properties. And we had four that we had to file insurance claims on. That's when it's more than $5,000 worth of damage. And these four properties, we were in that beginning stage. We had just put up the, the block walls, freestanding. There was no roof tied on. So when there's just these walls and the winds came, the winds knocked it yeah. down. So it wasn't even built yet. It wasn't even built yet. And so what happens is, first of all, that gives you a, a, a nice level of safety uh, for the newer construction because it's built to that higher ground. You're avoiding flooding or anything like that, and they can withstand winds. But also for overall cash flow and cost, our insurance, you, like we're sitting in my house right now, right? You know, this was built in 2004. If we could go down the road on the small barrier island to some of the you know older houses that were built in 1952, they're a third of the size of my house. Their insurance will be four times as much wow. because they're on that lower ground. They, they, they're not analyzed well by the insurance company, so they charge more. For our people doing new construction and our preferred insurance guys, they're like, oh, we love your houses. Sure, we'll insure it and we'll insure it for this price. That's where one of the things people get the most surprised seeing your performance. They're like, do you just make up this insurance number? How are you getting this insurance number? We said, well, here's our insurance guy. Go ahead and call him. He gave us the number for this house and we've built a lot of these and he's already insured them. So that's you guys are always things. five miles inland? With all Not always, but a lot of the times. Yeah, and so, that's because of the hurricanes. Because, there, you know, it's just, first of all, land's always a little cheaper um, to get into, but the rents are good still and you're still close to. But once you go at least five miles inland, that's a marker point for a lot of insurance analysts where they'll start to downgrade the risk of being too close. Like, look, where, where we all are sitting right here, I take a big risk. You know, I'm on a barrier island. It's only 10 houses wide. I want water on both sides for me and my kids to play in and have that kind of water lifestyle. And I just keep insurance on my property. But this is not where we build our build to rent type properties. It's where I want to live and and because I, you're, you're paying a premium on insurance being in this location. I'd be paying a premium on this property, although I'm paying a lot better insurance rates on this house since it's a newer construction and built better than some of the you know older houses that are just down the road here um, comparatively. Yeah, cool. Anthony, so you have a book coming out, the Passive yeah. Income Playbook. Passive Income Playbook. Yeah, I listened to the first three chapters, like the audio. Give me the honest. Did you like it? I did, yeah. It, it was cool just hearing your journey because like, 
Coming from Canada, you're like this big shot U.S. based real estate investor. Oh, James! Yeah. Oh, wait. So I hope my questions. wife just heard that. It's always I'm impressive a, to, to see you. He's a big shot. He's a big shot. He's a big shot. Like, uh, like in Canada, we have HDTV. So I don't know what the U.S. equivalent is. If you Same. have it's Same. HDTV, Same. probably started in America. We just well, the people are like, oh, do you know the Property Brothers? I'm like Nick and Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, My mom yeah. says that I guess it's on HGTV, like Chet and Joanne or Chip and Joanne. Chip and Joanne. He's like the loose us. cannon, and she's like. Yeah. But it's funny to hear that. It's like imagine in my own mind. It's like well, you're talking about hundreds of homes, and it's it seems crazy to have managed all that. But then to transition to this, it was interesting to hear your full story, Mm. right? From the flipper rehabber kind of HGTV guy, in my mind at least. Yeah, no, that's cool. To to, to the build to rent thing. Um, So no, I really liked it, and I thought it tied perfectly with your guys. You know, family. What is it? The family board meeting. What sticks out to me is the eighteen summers, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, talk to me about things. the book. When's it coming out? What's it all about? The book is going to come out um, first quarter of 2024. I know that Nick and Tom are going to get some some uh, copies out to the to the Rockstar community. Uh, and it's just kind of our journey. It, it was our, you know, the first first model I did in real estate, you know, I was full of excitement and almost bankrupt. You know, and the second model, which Nick and Tom came down to visit, it made money, but it was almost bankrupt in my time. And that's not your life, your terms. And it was really about 10 years ago I hit stride when I was able to buy back my time. And for me, it was that legendary family life. And so there's no ego in that people know that just means I didn't come from anything. So I wanted to be able to do all the things I dreamed of having as a kid or being able to do as a kid and we couldn't do as a family. I could do with my own family. And, you know, my dad was a big part of my life and I lost him last year on Christmas. And I said, all the things my dad dreamed of doing, couldn't do I'm going to do them for them. So that's, for me, the legendary family life. And honestly, Build to Rent has absolutely been the core nucleus of, of being able to do that, of being able to do the family board meeting 18 summers. And so, and it's where I've made my investor clients the most amount of money ever. Yeah. So you share your journey in the book. You share how you can also do it. Just kind of our principles around real estate, how build to rent came onto our spectrum when we built a business out of it and have worked with a lot of investors and also kind of our, we go kind of in the backstage of our family life because a lot of people say, hey, we want to, we want to enjoy family life. We want to make most of the time we have. And we talk about, we don't know how to teach out of a perfect family, but we can teach you how to bridge our, your imperfections and make the most of the time. And, and so we share a little bit of that of our story, which Jamie and I have been wanting to do for a long time. Cool. So if anyone wants to reach out to you guys, how do they do so? What's the process? Yeah. Um, you know, just what I recommend is Nick and Tom and I have, have kind of been scratching our heads on this for the last year. And so the Rockstar team is really aligned with us right now. I'd reach out to you. I'm working with a, you know, a, a property uh, counselor at, at Rockstar. Talk to them about us, you know, first, and then they can reach out to us. You know, jjplaybook.com is a great starting point where it's kind of a little bit about our book and, yeah. and our build to rent journey where they can learn about uh, the build to rent model. Um, and once you, you know, talk with your your, your leader at, at Rockstar, you're going to be able to talk to some of our, our team members. Yeah. And they are they're excited to be meeting with a bunch of your guys this weekend. And they'll be there to assist you the same way they have hundreds of other calls. They'll be able to get some more information, some performance, some of our videos, you know, and, yeah. and then also uh, set up a discovery call. 
you know, there's no obligation, but you can start to see what can you do. And a lot of people have already done. And that. you've got two people on your team, especially assigned to helping Tim out. and Jen assigned to our team. You know, Jen has been, you know, one of our right hand sales leaders for 14 years now. So she's worked with international investors and, and Tim as well. So you're in great hands. And uh, so we felt they were probably the best two counterparts to work with the Rockstar team as well. And so they're set up to work with the Rockstar community. They're ready to go along with two of our lenders, you know, and along with them, two of our lenders and Nick and Tom bringing in that, that important piece of the, um, of the uh, entity structuring and banking. Yeah. I think we've, we've covered all the pieces. Yeah, cool. I think that's it, man. Excellent. Well, yeah. I'm excited to have you guys here. Yeah. Thanks for being here in the Surf Shack. Yeah, yeah, the Surf Shack is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want one of these. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thanks for coming. A big thank you to Jim and his wife, Jamie Shields, for hosting us at their Surf Shack and sharing his time with us. The first ever Florida Fast Star property tour was an absolute blast. We can't wait to do it again. Call myself or Ashley on the membership team at 905-338-6964, extension 210, to ask us about our exclusive partnership with SI Homes in Florida for Rockstar Inner Circle members only, or about everything else you get by being a member of the Rockstarner Circle. We're happy to answer any question you might have or direct you to somebody that can answer a question. And uh, with that, thank you for listening, everyone. Hope to catch you next time.